to bring you the truth about cannabis and marijuana law reform. I smoke pot and I like it a lot. The Russ Belleville Show, the voice of the marijuana nation. It's like marijuana ought to be legalized. Good people smoke marijuana. Now, here's your host, Radical Russ Belleville. All right, all right, all right. Good day, tokers and tokettes and non-toking lovers of liberty. It is Monday, February 6, 2017, and it's got to be 420 somewhere in the world. Welcome to our debut of Season 5 here on the Russ Belleville Show, and we are back and better than ever in super video. That's right, 720p video coming to you from YouTube.com. So find us at RadicalRust.com. It should automatically reset you to our new YouTube page. And we will still be podcasting as an MP3 podcast through iTunes, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, all of those regular locations, as well as CannabisRadio.com. We've streamlined the show. We've got less ads and more content coming to you, including the news. Covering the latest headlines in consumer cannabis, medical marijuana, and industrial hemp. Now your marijuana headlines in 4 minutes and 20 seconds. This is Cannabis News. This is your Cannabis News for Monday, February 6, 2017. Alaska marijuana regulators have rejected a proposal to allow authorized retail shops to have areas where customers could consume marijuana products. The nation's northernmost state on Thursday had been poised to become the first in the nation to allow on-site consumption, but Sarah Chambers, the acting director of Alaska's Alcohol and Marijuana Control Office, told board members the public notice for the on-site consumption proposal was not done properly. The board had several options, including re-advertising it for another 30 days or deciding not to advance the proposal. They rejected advancing the measure on a 3-2 to two vote. Board member Mark Springer worried how the Trump administration might view marijuana, which remains illegal at the federal level. He urged Alaska to go slowly on considering whether to allow marijuana consumption in retail outlets. Richard Kirk, the Denver man who almost single-handedly revived the old-timey notion of marijuana-induced violence by killing his wife after eating cannabis candy in 2014, pleaded guilty to second-degree murder last Friday. His deal with prosecutors calls for a sentence of 25 to 30 years, followed by five years of parole. Kirk also agreed to surrender custody of his three children, who will be raised by their maternal grandparents. Kirk initially pleaded not guilty, then switched to not guilty by reason of insanity. In a report submitted by the defense in August 2015, a physician said the THC that Kirk ingested had triggered a psychosis-mimicking delirium. The relevance of that conclusion to Kirk's defense was unclear, however, since under Colorado law, the voluntary ingestion of alcohol or any other psychoactive substance cannot be the basis of an insanity defense. 
Kansas Senator David Haley, a Democrat from Kansas City, and Representative Gail Finney, a Democrat from Wichita, submitted bills in 2016 supporting the use of cannabis for treatment of medical disorders, but they died in committee. This year, Haley planned to introduce two bills. One would allow for medicinal use of marijuana, and the other would legalize recreational use. The medicinal use bill would be similar to Colorado's, making cannabis available through script or through written recommendation. Doctors cannot prescribe cannabis because it is illegal on the federal level. Legalization would allow for recreational use. Haley said the Kansas legislature became more moderate following the November election. One New Hampshire representative hopes this is the year the state finally decriminalizes marijuana, roughly 40 years after he first sponsored a bill to do so. Democratic Representative Chuck Grassy of Rochester is a sponsor of a bill that would remove criminal penalties for possessing up to one ounce of marijuana. Grassy, who just returned to the House this year, was a sponsor of similar legislation in 1977 as a young man just out of the University of New Hampshire. The bill's prime sponsor is Democratic Representative Rennie Cushing, a longtime proponent of removing criminal penalties for marijuana. New Hampshire remains the New England holdout of tough marijuana laws. Neighboring Maine and Massachusetts have voted to legalize the drug, even as New Hampshire can still award jail time for possessing it. Did medical marijuana contribute to a patient's death? That was the question facing doctors when a California man died from a relatively rare fungal infection. It started with a couple of patients that were undergoing very intensive chemotherapy and a stem cell therapy, and those patients were very immune compromised, explained Dr. Joseph Toscano of the University of California Davis Cancer Center. Those patients were already in a very serious cancer fight when that fight suddenly became more complicated with a relatively rare but particularly lethal fungal infection. The patients were relatively young and in winnable cancer battles. For one of them, it was the fungal infection that proved deadly. So the doctors set out to find that killer, and right away they had a suspect. The cannabis was contaminated with many bacteria and fungi, some of which was compatible with the infections that I saw in my patients, Toscano said. Bills to legalize, regulate, and tax marijuana for adults have been introduced in both the New York Senate and the Assembly. The bills, S3040 and A3506, would allow adults 18 and over to possess up to two ounces of marijuana and cultivate up to six plants. They've also set up a regulatory system for businesses to cultivate, process, and sell cannabis to adults 21 and up. Other bills have been introduced to fix New York's flawed decriminalization law. This has been your Cannabis News for Monday, February 6, 2017. I'm Russ Belville. In the interest of fair and balanced journalism, the Russ Belville Show presents the anti-drug public service announcement of the day. I'm Captain Lou Albano talking about drugs. Kids, don't be afraid to say no. Anyone that asks you to use drugs is not your friend. Drugs can and will kill. Remember, don't be afraid to turn to your priest, your rabbi, your minister, your moms, your dads, your teachers, because drugs can kill. And if you do drugs, you go to hell before you die. This has been the Russ Belleville Show's anti-drug public service announcement of the day. Exclusively on RadicalRust.com. The International Cannabis Business Conference comes to San Francisco, California on February 16th and 17th, 2017. 
the ICBC San Francisco, Northern California's first business-to-business event since the recent historic election, will bring together top state regulators and industry leaders to discuss permits, business models, and opportunities within the newly enacted laws and landscape. Of course, the ICBC also famously offers some of the best cannabis industry networking, leveraging our worldwide following to connect wholesalers, brands, distributors, investors, and strategic partners. And don't forget to come early for our VIP reception and stay late for our legendary after party. Join us for the longest continuously running cannabis business conference in California at the Hilton San Francisco Union Square, the one and only International Cannabis Business Conference. Visit internationalcbc.com for tickets today. Get the latest updates on The Russ Belleville Show by following Radical Russ on Twitter and liking The Russ Belleville Show on Facebook. Warning. It's taken on this show are larger than they appear. Do not try this at home. These people are professionals. <coughs> or at least they pay me to say that. It's no bong. It's for my schlong. <gasps> A public service message from the Russ Belleville Show. The world of cannabis is evolving at a frenetic pace. The Russ Belleville Show gets behind the headlines to take a deeper look at breaking news in our cannabis focus. Today in the cannabis focus, we're going to talk a little bit about the Virginia Cannabis Conference that took place uh, last weekend uh, in Richmond, Virginia. I made my way out there and was joined by Kevin Mamalji, the National Outreach Coordinator for Normal, and one of my favorite speakers, John Hudak, a senior fellow at the Brookings Institute. Also joining us at the conference were a couple of the state delegates from the uh, assembly there in Virginia, a Republican named Glenn Davis and a Democrat named Steve Heretic. It was an all-day conference on Sunday, followed by a full day of lobbying on Monday at the Virginia Assembly. Wanted to bring you a few highlights of the event, starting with John Hudak uh, from the Brookings Institute. And this uh, this goes along with some of the talk we've had over the past few shows about the effects of the Trump administration on the marijuana industry and how some people think marijuana is too popular, marijuana is too big, there's too much money in it, and that Trump would never go at it. This is what John Hudak had to say about that. I heard a lot of people, a lot of progressives, a lot of uh, liberals saying There's no difference between Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump. They're going to be the same thing, just another corporatist, you know, insider hack. If you think that Hillary Clinton would have banned people from seven majority Muslim countries yesterday if she were president, you know, you're insane. Um, If you think that a lot of the executive actions that have been passed in the first nine days of this administration would have looked exactly like the executive orders and presidential memoranda that would have been passed under Hillary Clinton, you're insane. These are two very different individuals with two very different ideologies. You can hate both of them, that's fine. You can think that they're not going to push forward with the type of progress that you necessarily want. But the idea that there was no consequence between Trump or Clinton is a total misreading of American politics, of political ideologies, and of the candidates themselves. And so when you look out now at the marijuana policy landscape, people are terrified. They might have been terrified if Hillary Clinton was president, but I know one thing for sure. It's hard to guess. It's hard to make predictions about presidential politics. But here's one I am certain of. Jeff Sessions would not be Hillary Clinton's attorney general. 
Uh, Russ put up a lot of quotes um, that Jeff Sessions said. It sounded like drug, drug war rhetoric from the 1970s or 1980s and not from 2016, but those are legitimate and serious words from a United States senator. I think Russ and I disagree a little bit about what Sessions will be like as Attorney General, but there is a risk to the marijuana movement that Jeff Sessions presents. He will have the institutional power to make a mess of the marijuana industry, to make a mess of the reform movement. There is a serious need for advocacy organizations like yours, not only, again, to push forward with what you know and love and believe, and not only to help elect the officials who you think will represent your views best, but also to hold to account the individuals who the president selects to run this government. Those people need to hear your voices in the same way that they will hear other voices. There are a lot of myths out there about what marijuana policy is going to look like under Donald Trump. I've spoken at a couple of conferences uh, in the past few weeks, and I've spoken on this issue, and I've heard people speak on this issue. There's this idea that Donald Trump isn't going to do anything about do anything negative to medical or recreational marijuana because public opinion is so high. Well, if public opinion was so high, if public opinion was the determinant of what our policy looked like, we would have comprehensive immigration reform, universal background checks for guns, and a heck of a lot of other policies that we don't have now, and we'd be scrapping a lot of policies that we do. That 62% or 63% of Americans support recreational legalization means nothing to the President of the United States. That 80 to 85% of Americans support medical marijuana legalization means nothing to the President of the United States. The other myth is that the industry is too big. You can't do anything about an industry that has grown that big. I spoke at a uh, cannabis investors conference in LA a couple of weeks ago. Uh, this is the, the core of this idea, that the industry has grown in such a robust way. And I was not the popular guy in the room when I told them, your industry is small by any metric of American capitalism. You are a speck of dust in a clutter of dirt of American capitalism. I said, the president, at that time the president-elect, is planning to repeal the Affordable Care Act. If you think that hospitals, doctors, and the pharmaceutical industry are small enough to be shaken down by the president, but the cannabis industry is too big to face the same challenge from the president, once again, you're insane. That's John Hudak, a senior fellow at the Brookings Institute, author of Marijuana, A Short History, discussing the possibility of attacks by the uh, Trump administration on the marijuana industry. And for us not to uh, be complacent about that, thinking that we're too big or too rich to be attacked. Also speaking at the event was Virginia Delegate Glenn Davis, a Republican, and he spoke to the uh, people about the three things that need to be proven about the medicinal use of cannabis before he's able to get a bill past the assembly. So that's where that bill is. It's drafted. It's not very broad. Um, I actually thought, you know, do we need a broader bill? I was advised not to do a broader bill, uh, which I'm glad I, I didn't. 
uh, because after talking to the chairman of, uh, of the Course of Justice yesterday, um, he said, Glenn, here's the three things that have to be shown uh, for us to expand this. And he's, Dave Alba is a good friend of mine. He, he's a great guy. He's very direct, uh, which I can appreciate. And, and the first is that we have to prove that there are studies that say this helps. And, and those studies are out there. We've all seen them, it, you know, that, these, that, that cannabis oil makes a difference. So we, we have to have those. And I've been working with many people to help put those studies together so we can supply those. The second thing that we have to show is that, that there are doctors that say this medical science makes sense, that this truly is something that they want to prescribe. And, and that gets to be a little bit difficult, um, you see, because it's, it's, not all doctors specialize uh, in, in, in Crohn's disease, and not all doctors specialize or understand the value of cannabis oil with regards to Crohn's disease. So trying to pull that medical uh, expertise into uh, a committee room on a given day on arguably sometimes 24 to 48 hours notice can be a little bit difficult. Uh, that's the second thing we have to prove. But the third thing, and this is the most important thing that we have to prove, is that the other solutions out there are not working. That they're not solutions that are making a difference in people's lives, or they're so terrible that it's something that we should be avoiding if there was an alternative. That's uh, the Glenn Davis, the uh, delegate from Portsmouth, I believe, the Republican, speaking about the need for proof in order to get the medical marijuana bills passed there in the state of Virginia. He was followed by Delegate Steve Heretic, a Democrat who spoke of how doctors are frightened of writing recommendations for medical cannabis when they've been attacked so much over the opioid epidemic. But I, I think, you know, the question becomes, you know, does marijuana, do, do marijuana arrest really serve as a Trojan horse for other types of, of selective law enforcement? You know, I can tell you the amount of times I've stood in court and heard, stop the car, strong odor of marijuana, never once in 30 years of practicing law as I've heard anybody weak odor of marijuana. Um... <laughs> So, I mean, obviously that gives entree to other things. You know, Fourth Amendment issues, search and seizure, it gives probable cause to a lot of other problems. Um, I will say this, you know, and, and going back to my Board of Medicine uh, experience, I think one of the more practical issues we're going to see if, if marijuana is uh, permitted uh, for, you know, medical topical types of medical use is where in Virginia you're going to find a doctor to write that prescription, Okay. Because, as we all know, opiate addiction is a big, big issue today. I've taken a lot of licenses in the you know, 10 years that I was on the board for doctors who were writing OxyContin with an open hand. Okay? And I think that there are a lot of doctors out there who are thinking, well, at least that's scheduled too. That's kind of legal. You know, if they're going to take my license for that, you know, somebody comes in with Crohn's disease or epilepsy, or, you know, other types of neurological disorders, or, you know, need uh, appetite stimulation for, for, you know, related to cancer treatment. I, I, yeah, I'm with that, but I'm sure as hell not going to put my signature on a prescription. Okay, because we know what that leads to. That's Steve Heretic, the Democrat uh, from the Virginia Assembly. And you can catch more of these videos. I've got the entire Virginia Cannabis Conference uh, ready for you at the uh, YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Radical Russ. It's uh, split up into two videos. There's a morning edition and there is the afternoon edition. If you check out the morning edition video, it opens with my presentation on cannabis framing. You may have heard it here on the show 
before. And you'll get to hear from Kevin Mamalji and Jen Michelle Padini, the head of Virginia Normal. Then in the uh, afternoon segment, you'll be able to catch a little bit of my drug war trivia game that we played there uh, in Virginia and the speeches from the two delegates that you just heard. It's all available at youtube.com slash Radical Russ, my channel up there on YouTube where you are watching this live stream. Also, those of you who are watching the live stream, if you want to catch some of it again, uh, this will be archived on YouTube, so you'll be able to uh, automatically get the video. You can subscribe to my YouTube channel, and whenever there's a new YouTube video, we'll play it for you. Yeah, baby! <laughs> All right, well, that sound means that it is time for our 20 after break, as we do here at the Russ Bellville Show. It is... Uh, union required break so we got to do it smoke them if you got them we'll be back in just a couple of minutes with doctor with our drug war data mining and then dr mitch early wine stay tuned you know herb thrasher from the herb thrasher flower hour now get ready for herb age designs for the proud cannabis consumer Herb Age Designs, lifestyle gear for the 420 friendly. Herb Age Designs, we've got frisbee golf discs and durable hemp gear. Herb Age Designs, we've got shot glasses, drinking glasses, coffee mugs, and beer cozies. Check us out on Facebook and online at HerbAgeDesigns.com. And follow Herb Age and Herb Thrasher on Twitter. You're not high. You're listening to the Russ Belleville Show. This is not medicine. This is a Cheech and Chong show. All right. Maybe you're high, too. Warning. It's taken on this show are larger than they appear. Do not try this at home. These people are professionals. <coughs> or at least they pay me to say that. Are you sure this is legal? I don't know. It's fun, though, isn't it? A public service message from the Russ Belleville Show. Promoting the end of adult cannabis prohibition is easy because we have facts, science, reason, compassion, evidence, truth, and logic on our side. It's even easier when researchers catalog it all for us. Learn how to gather the facts on marijuana use, arrests, seizures, rehabs, drug tests, and more on this edition of Drug War Data Mining. Today in the Drug War Data Mines, we're going to talk about football because yesterday, of course, was Super Bowl 51, and the New England Patriots stunned the football world by making a 25-point comeback, 31 unanswered points to win the Super Bowl. A lot of my friends in Atlanta are very sad today to see them blow a 28 to 3 lead in the Super Bowl. I, you know, there's no denying it now. Tom Brady is definitely the greatest quarterback of all time. Bill Belichick, perhaps the greatest football coach of all time. Doesn't make me very happy since, uh, they're all fans and friends of Donald Trump, but that's the way the ball bounces and, uh, in the NFL, of course, the story we've been following here at the Russ Belville Show has had to do with the use of cannabis as a medical option for the players dealing with pain and the players dealing with the traumatic brain injuries and concussions that can occur 
or through the repeated hits these people take in the league. And there's been a new poll that has come out. There is a group called Cannabis for Professional Sports. And last Wednesday, they held a convention. They had some big name players there at the convention. Folks like former NFL quarterback Jim McMahon was arguing that pot is better at relieving pain than the prescription painkillers. Of course, uh, NFL commissioner Roger Goodell uh, still is dragging his feet with regards to cannabis and medical marijuana, uh, saying he's not open to revising the NFL's marijuana rules, saying his doctors, his people haven't gotten enough information yet. I guess 20 years of medical marijuana in California just isn't quite enough information yet. The players union and current players, on the other hand, are trying their best to convince the NFL that this needs to change. They are tired of taking the toxic, addictive opioid painkillers, and they're tired of not getting the best possible preventative medicine for the brain trauma they suffer week in and week out. So ESPN decided to take a poll of 226 players from the NFL to ask them about pot use in the league. And according to this poll, 71% of NFL players support the legalization of marijuana in the United States. Uh, They use pot for pain control, and they say that this needs to change. The NFL's testing and punishment for marijuana needs to change. The uh, poll results also show that 22% of the players in the league know of a teammate who has used marijuana before a game. More than one out of five players know somebody who is using marijuana before the games. And when asked if it was hard to beat the NFL's drug testing system for marijuana, 67% of the players said, no, it's pretty easy to beat it. They say uh, they can... They say it's not hard to beat that test. And of course, this last year, the test was announced on April 20th. That's right, 420, the annual drug test for the NFL. For now, NFL will still ban the use of marijuana by its players. And there is a a first-time offense gets you a four-game suspension. So it's pretty serious. Taking a look around the United States, we've got some other polls to uh, bring to you as well in drug war data mining. New poll out of WFMY News 2 in North Carolina finds that 71% of the viewers there in North Carolina say marijuana should be legalized. Another 17% said it should be legalized for medical reasons only, and only 12% of the respondents in this North Carolina poll said that marijuana should not be legal. Great news coming out of North Carolina, but do keep in mind we're talking about a television poll. may not be the most scientific of polls. We were speaking earlier about the state of Virginia. There was a poll that came out in Virginia conducted by Christopher Newport University's Wasson Center for Public Policy. There's a poll of 1,002 voters over the end of January. And according to the poll in Virginia, 76% of voters in the state of Virginia support the decriminalization of personal use of marijuana. Only 20% of the Virginia respondents opposed the decriminalization of marijuana. So between North Carolina and Virginia, we're getting some really good poll numbers now on reforming marijuana laws. Looking also at another North Atlantic or mid-Atlantic state, uh, the state of Maryland, According to a Washington Post University of Maryland poll, 
61% of Maryland residents support legalization and believe the legislature should move forward on that initiative. Uh, I should say bill because they don't have initiatives in Maryland or Virginia or North Carolina. All three of those states are going to have to pass any sort of marijuana reform through their state legislators. So it's important for those of you living in those kind of states to make sure that you are in touch with your state legislators and let them know that you support the reform of marijuana laws. These laws aren't going to change themselves. And if you need any help, any data, any of these poll numbers, any of the scientific studies to convince your legislators that this is necessary, you can email me, RadicalRuss at gmail.com. I'll be glad to send you links to the studies and other places that you can look and get some more help. Also, I'd encourage you to join your local chapter of Normal. There's Virginia Normal, which I just came back from their conference. They're doing a great job. There's Maryland Normal. I've met some of the folks from Maryland Normal as well. They're pushing some great measures in their legislature. There's a North Carolina Normal that you can get involved with. All three of those organizations will have all the information you need, the names of the delegates and senators, the names of the bills. You should get involved. Become a marijuana activist. Remember, the first three letters of activism are ACT. Make that call today. All right, we're going to take a break. And when we come back, it's time for our cannabis Q&A with Dr. Mitch Earlywine. Stay tuned. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. When you are starting up a medical cannabis business, you want a fired-up lawyer who understands the needs of cannabis consumers. The law office of Lauren Vasquez is your fired-up lawyer for the cannabis industry. Visit her website, FiredUpLawyer.com, or call 1-855-MMJ-LAWS for more information. That's 855-665-5297 for Lauren Vasquez, your fired-up lawyer, or email fireduplawyer at gmail.com. You're not high. You're listening to the Russ Belleville Show. Good people don't smoke marijuana. All right. Well, maybe you're high, too. Normal stands for Responsible Adult Cannabis Use. If cannabis use is causing problems in your life, consider taking a break or seeking medical assistance. Consider ceasing cannabis use if you have a family history of mental illness. Don't drive or operate heavy machinery while impaired by cannabis use. Cannabis use is not without risks, even though the risks are far less than those posed by legal drugs. It's time for the Russ Belleville Show's Cannabis Q&A with Dr. Mitch Earlywine. Dr. Earlywine is a professor of psychology at the State University of New York at Albany and a leading author and researcher on cannabinoids and health who pins the Ask Dr. Mitch column for High Times Magazine. All right, welcome everybody to our Cannabis Q&A with Dr. Mitch Earlywine. Dr. Mitch, are you hearing me okay over there? Indeed, I hear you just fine. Fantastic. Welcome to our Season 5 premiere. We're back on YouTube, and we've got Dr. Mitch on the line. If you've got any calls or questions for Dr. Mitch, the phone lines are open now at 
uh, 650-LEGAL-MJ. That number again is 650-LEGAL-MJ. And Dr. Mitch, how are you doing today? Oh, having a good day. Thanks for asking. Glad to hear about that. Now, we've been off the air for just a little bit, and while we were gone, there were all sorts of studies and science that we need to get to. Let's start with this massive meta-analysis that was undertaken, the world's most comprehensive study on marijuana. Uh, it, a lot of people were uh, bringing this up and saying that this is finally the federal government admitting marijuana is medical. Is is that the case? What can we learn from this, Dr. Mitch? I want to emphasize that there are no new data here. It's all a review, but they looked at literally 10,000 scientific abstracts. The beloved Dr. Donald Abrams was on this committee. My friend Lorraine Collins did some work with this. It's been uh, a really comprehensive report. And so, yeah, it's a little bit hedging on a few things. And they're, uh, you know, for the sake of clarity and thoroughness, uh, mentioning every possible uh, negative outcome, but there were a few really positive ones that certainly didn't uh, appear the last time the National Academy of Science looked at this. So they're real big on, say, the MS-related spasticity. We see some nice uh, discussion about how chemotherapy-induced nausea and vomiting can be helped. They were pretty candid about the idea that cannabis-causing schizophrenia is probably spurious at best or only present in an incredibly high risk group. And then they were, um, you know, at least willing to emphasize that uh, depression, anxiety, PTSD um, seems to be uh, potentially treated with cannabis on a subset of folks, but that uh, a subset of folks with those disorders tend to use it. And so it creates this appearance as if cannabis might be uh, increasing the chances of developing them. And then the, the you know, rather understandable uh, jumping up and down about heavy use early in life being a bad idea. Yeah, a lot of these things we've discussed on the show before, and it's it's nice that they got this all into one place for us to look at it. And uh, I'll provide the link for anyone that wants that just to email me, RadicalRuss at gmail.com. Another story that we got to uh, here is that scientists are starting to believe cannabis is a wonder drug for multiple sclerosis. I got a number of friends with MS who swear by it. Uh, is there anything new in this study? Well, what's nice more than anything is that this is a crew that has not been a particularly pro-cannabis crew. These are folks who are part of a University of Colorado MS-type lab. And so for them to come out and say this, I think... Uh, at least says either minds are changing or people are less afraid than they used to be about uh, coming right out and saying, look, both THC and CBD really have a role in helping folks with MS. Well, that's good news, and uh, we'll, we will continue to uh, monitor that study and others. Uh, the folks in the in the MS community uh, need this information. All right, our other study that we've got here, of course, a lot of folks are talking about the opioid epidemic. We hear this time and time again from uh, governors and various state-level politicians that are freaking out over the use of heroin, Oxycontin, Vicodin, Percocet, these type of opioids. And the scientists now are starting to believe that cannabis uh, will ease the burden of opioid addiction. We've talked about this on the show before. And how does this work, Dr. Mitch? What are they finding about cannabis and opioid withdrawal and addiction? 
Well, what's neat to see is that, in fact, both THC, which we always are always kind of new, but also CBD seems to help with those withdrawal symptoms and the craving associated with opiates. And it teaches us a bit about how, you know, the human mind works, but more than anything, just uh, emphasizes that here's a, a drug that really doesn't even work directly in that opiate system. And so it's got a lot more chance of being successful rather than, say, substituting methadone or some other sort of uh, opioid-type drug in an, in an effort to reduce craving and, and, and relapse and things like that. And I do hope that a small study like this one, which shows that cannabidiol can be helpful, will inspire further work and, to tell you the truth, just loosen up the whole attitude about this sort of thing. Yeah, it, th- this would be nice. And, and we saw we uh, I was in Virginia this last weekend for the uh, Virginia Cannabis Conference. And that was something the the delegates there that were speaking uh, to the audience were talking a lot about this opiate uh, epidemic, uh, having a lot of problems in Virginia and West Virginia and so forth. And they say that that's starting to move the needle a little, little bit in the uh, legislatures because they're starting to see that, well, you know, mar- they may hate marijuana, but they hate the heroin epidemic worse. So we'll keep our eyes on this as well. All right. We've got another uh, topic here on topicals. This is interesting because we have uh, the topicals industry here in the legal states is is growing quite rapidly. Uh, older folks especially like to be able to rub on a cannabis uh, lotion or balm for arthritis or, or soreness. And this study here is saying that consistent use of marijuana topicals will not trip a drug test. Why is that, Dr. Mitch? Oh, it's intriguing to think back, you know, just a few years ago when we were just starting working together. I didn't even believe that the topicals created a, a detectable level of THC and that I thought it was all placebo. I've since wisened up a bit, but the bottom line is the cannabinoid receptors involved in the localized pain can be stimulated with a topical so that you don't really have any centralized digestion or even presence of THC, so it never reaches a detectable level in the main part of the bloodstream. There's not a lot of liver involvement or breaking down into 11-hydroxy-THC. So all the things that we normally see looked for in uh, a blood screen or a urine screen really aren't present at concentrations high enough to be qualified as detectable. And so you can rub these on essentially with impunity and go to work the next day and pee right in the cup but I don't want to be too excited about that because I hate the idea that anybody has to pee in the cup. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's, it isn't that we should be trying to come up with can, uh, cannabis products that don't trip drug tests. We should just be getting rid of the drug tests. <laughs> sad but true. Sad yeah, but true. Absolutely. All right. And speaking of the drug tests, uh, one of the ways that many people try to get around a drug test, try to avoid turning up positive for marijuana metabolites is through the use of synthetic marijuana, the so-called K2 or spice that we've uh, seen in various bodegas and head shops for years and years and years. Uh, a new study is telling us now that this synthetic marijuana can be fatal to our health. Now, we know that natural cannabis doesn't kill people, but can this synthetic stuff actually kill people, Dr. Mitch? Sad but true, and it's wild because the guys who invented these chemicals were really trying to find something that they could use in animal research to stimulate that cannabinoid receptor as strongly as possible. A full-blown 
uh, agonist for that receptor to really get a feel for what it's doing. Good old THC from cannabis is kind of a partial agonist and might create some relatively light neurotransmission in the cannabinoid system by comparison. It doesn't lend itself to an easy metaphor, but if you can imagine uh, you've got a little flashlight battery that you've been lighting with a a small, uh, using a small little light, and then you try to uh, put that little dinky light bulb in your 120 volt uh, electricity, it's going to burn out and, and kind of go wild. These are just not for human consumption. These were not designed for that, and they're way too rough on that cannabinoid system. Our natural cannabinoids might activate at the same level for less than a second, and here we are taking these chemicals that are just super artificial and and not designed for this kind of thing. So it is unfortunate. We do see some wild psychotic-type behavior in response to these, and uh, with the wild uh, tachycardia produced, some of the heavy heart rate, we're actually seeing cases where folks have died from it. It's really sad. Is is part of the problem here also just the uh, inconsistency of the application and, and, and which particular synthetic ca- cannabinoid these manufacturers might be using? I, I, I hate to make fun of any manufacturer, but the, the safety and rules around this, just it's not there. There's no necessary or sufficient uh, inspection system. There's no way to require testing on these given the way they're marketed. It's really just a very dangerous set of habits. And I encourage everyone to stick with the plant that has the 5,000-year history of safety and stay away from these. Yeah. It's amazing how prohibition has actually made a form of cannabinoid that's harmful. <laughs> it's just a, a sad, sad effect of prohibition. All right. Let's take a look at this other study that we've got that says that teens are turning to marijuana to self-medicate for stress and anxiety. Uh, it almost sounds like one of those uh, department of no duh type of, uh, <laughs> of studies, but what can we learn from this one? I hate to sound like an old man, but the bottom line here is that teens are just trying to do way too much and they're under way too much stress. So I think the tacit assumption that they're all supposed to work 10 jobs and play three sports and in order to get to college, get all A's, or they're going to have a life of total misery is really the message we want to fight. In fact, your teenage years should be an enjoyable time where you get to make good friends and try out new things and just get to know yourself, not work morning and night in hopes of some bogus reward somewhere down into the future. And so what a stunner, the one time they say they can, you know, let down, uh, the one time when they feel like, hey, I I obviously don't want to work now because I I perhaps can't, uh, is to turn to cannabis. And we've seen uh, from Stacy Gruber's lab and some of the other labs, heavy use early in life is just not a great idea. And if these folks had the chance, they could lighten up a little bit, do a little time management, a little relaxation, get the chance to do some light exercise, and just have a little time for fun, and they'd be doing markedly better. Uh, it's, it's kind of a shame that they feel that they're so stressed out that they have to turn to cannabis at such a young age. 
Yeah, uh, too much stress, too much work, too much homework. We need to uh, lighten up a little bit on these teenagers, and maybe they won't feel the need to uh, switch over to those sorts of things. Well, Dr. Mitch, that's all the time we've got for today's segment. I want to encourage people to check out Dr. Mitch's podcast on CannabisRadio.com. Burning Issues is available weekly. And uh, Dr. Mitch, thanks for joining us today. Always a pleasure. Talk to you soon. All right. Stay tuned, folks. When we come back, we will have time for a radical rant. We ask, what the f*** is up with North Dakota when we return? This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. The Russ Belleville Show is proudly sponsored by the Marijuana Business Association. The MJBA, called by NBC News the Cannabis Chamber of Commerce, is the fastest-growing business association in the fastest-growing industry in America. I've been working with the MJBA for years, and I personally invite you to join the MJBA. MJBA also publishes the popular MJ Headline News on Facebook and the MJNewsNetwork.com and Marijuana Channel 1 on YouTube. Visit MJBA.net for more details. You're not high. You're listening to the Russ Belleville Show. Sean Spicer, our press secretary, gave alternative facts to that. Okay, maybe you're high, too. Warning, hits taken on this show are larger than they appear. Do not try this at home. These people are professionals. (coughs) Or at least they aim you to say that. Hey, man. Am I driving okay? A public service message from the Rust Belleville Show. Total war against public enemy public number one. Ten federal criminal penalties for the one ounce of marijuana. Marijuana is probably the most dangerous drug. Legalization is just another word for surrender. I experimented with marijuana and didn't inhale. This is not medicine. This is a cheat and charm. Encourage people to use less drugs. I am here. That was that was the point. I think we'd be a mistake to leave the state. Negative reports coming out of Colorado. Don't smoke marijuana. All right, welcome back, everybody. Time for the rant. And I just got to ask one question. What the f*** is wrong with North Dakota's legislators on medical marijuana? I mean, what is hell is going on there? I mean, first of all, you've got the barbaric cruelty of proposing a law legalizing vehicular manslaughter. Have you heard of this? Yeah, they got all those protests there because of the Dakota Access Pipeline. So they want to make it legal to run over a protester with your car. I know it has nothing to do with weed, but that just gives you some idea what we are dealing with here in North Dakota. Currently, they're proposing another bill called SB 2344 that would rewrite the entirety of Measure 5, the medical marijuana initiative that we passed with a staggering 64% of the votes last November. These changes that they're proposing have nothing to do with improving public safety and nothing to do with improving the functioning of their beginner medical marijuana program, but they do plenty to add hardship to the sick and disabled patients and the providers trying to heal them. Let me give you a look at what's going on in North Dakota. First of all, when we passed Measure 5, again, almost two out of three voters voted for this. 
Measure 5 dictated that patients should be allowed to possess up to three ounces of usable marijuana and purchase that amount every two weeks. Every two weeks, go get your three ounces. And that amount is pretty much in step with most of the medical marijuana states. But this SB 2344 dictates that patients can only purchase two and a half ounces of usable marijuana every 30 days. So, you patients who may have needed as much as six ounces a month for your debilitating condition, tough luck. You're just going to have to make do with less than half of that. And Measure 5 stipulated that usable marijuana means, quote, the dried leaves and flowers of the marijuana plant and any mixture or preparation of those dried leaves and flowers, including but not limited to tinctures, ointments, and other preparations, end quote. Well, 2344 eliminates the use of whole plant cannabis. It redefines usable marijuana as, quote, a liquid, including an oil or a pill delivery form of marijuana. And that usable marijuana, quote, does not include the dried leaves or flowers of the plant. Vaporization of cannabis oils are not allowed if the vapor would be inhaled by a non-patient minor child, end quote. So, if you're a puking chemotherapy patient relying on the fast-acting, easily-dosed smoking of marijuana, well, you're just going to have to get used to swallowing and keeping down a pill or liquid form of cannabinoid, and then wait 45 minutes for it to digest, and then discern whether or not that was enough, and then repeat the process if it wasn't. Furthermore, Measure 5, which again, may I remind you, passed with almost two-thirds of the vote. Measure 5 made no distinction between pediatric and adult uses of medical marijuana aside from the requirement that you get consent from the legal guardian of the child. But this 2344 limits minors to pediatric medical marijuana oil, which is defined as cannabidiol oil that contains no more than 6% THC. (laughs) Less than 6% THC for minors. Oh, and for the purposes of this law, a minor means an individual under the age of 21. So, if you're a 20-year-old veteran returning from war with a case of post-traumatic stress... You only get to use the same kind of non-psychoactive cannabis oil that sometimes help epileptic five-year-olds, but is nearly worthless for your condition. Now, Measure 5 didn't indicate what the cost would be for a patient to get their mandatory identification card, their, their medical marijuana card. They did specify that a replacement card for like, you know, like a change of address would cost 25 bucks. And it specified that cards for operators in the industry, you know, like a bud tender needs to get a bud tender card, that those those cards would cost 125 bucks. So it was assumed, it was thought that the card cost would be somewhere in there, right? 2500 bucks, somewhere in there. Huh. SB 2034, 2344 jacks up the patient's registry card fee to $300. That's 50% higher than the most expensive medical marijuana cards in America. Right here in Oregon, it costs 200 bucks. New Jersey costs 200 bucks. So, 
patient who is already going to have to spend more money for the gas to drive to a dispensary to purchase non-smokable cannabinoid products that will cost far more than the expense of growing cannabis at home, by the time you add up the cost of the physician visits and the card you need, it's probably going to cost you upwards of a thousand bucks. Now, Measure 5 did specify that caregivers could not have a felony record and would have to get a card to cover their treatment of up to five patients. So you could become a caregiver. You could take care of five patients if you don't have a felony. But it didn't set the cost for what that caregiver card would be. Well, SB 2344 sure does. It sets the caregiver card at $300. And they also changed the language in it a bit. In the original Measure 5, there was a form you had to fill out to be a caregiver, and it said, put the name of the patient, parenthesis S, right, patient or patient's name, patient or patient's address, patient or patient's city, and so on. The new bill takes out the parenthesis S part, makes it just patient, and says you have to complete a new form for each one of your five patients. And each one of those forms has to have a $300 card that goes with it. That's right, folks. We're talking about a possibility of up to $1,500 in card fees if you wanted to care for five patients. Oh, and by the way, it's not just drug felonies anymore that prevent you from being a caregiver. Drug misdemeanors have been added to this bill. So suppose you've got five war buddies. You want to help them treat their chronic pain with medical cannabis. Not only do you have to shell out $1,500 to be their caregiver, but if you got busted sharing a joint with one of them to ease post-traumatic stress back in 2014, sorry, you can't apply to be a caregiver anyway. Now, Measure 5 also set up some of the rules for the dispensaries. The non-refundable application fee for a dispensary is $5,000. That's pretty typical. Most of the states are like that. And then it's a $25,000 annual license fee. That's not too bad either compared to most of the states. For the employees, if you want to get your bud tender card, for example, $125 non-refundable fee for your worker registration card. And again, this isn't too off the, the, the standard for most of the states. But this SB 2344 in North Dakota jacks the annual license fee up times four. $100,000 a year for your, for your dispensary and the workers card jacks it up to 300 bucks. So for the patient who's already spending all that money on doctors and cards and non-smokable cannabinoid products, get ready for those prices to be even higher because now the dispensaries have to offset all that overhead. Now measure five, which was passed by 64% of the people set no limits on the number of growers and dispensaries that would be licensed in North Dakota. Thus, the market would determine how many would be needed and where they'd be located to adequately supply the patients. Well, can't have that. Nope, SB 2344 sets a limit of four growers and eight dispensaries for the entire state. So... If you're one of those patients living in the great rural expanse of the Northern Plains, sit back and see where in North Dakota's four major cities of Fargo, Bismarck, Grand Forks, or Minot, 
Figure out which one of those cities you'll be driving to once a month to acquire your medicine. Now, Measure 5 also thought of that. Measure 5, passed by 64% of the voters, considered the possibility that someone might be living way the hell out in the country, and it proposed that patients who lived farther than 40 miles away from a dispensary could cultivate their own cannabis for medicinal purposes. Now, that's pretty strict. It's stricter than the 25-mile home-grow ban that states like Arizona and Nevada have. But it was the first state to allow some home-growing since 2012. But then again, if, if SB 2344 is not going to allow you to have whole plant medical marijuana, then patients can't be growing it at home, can they? Nope. SB 2344 strikes the entire section on home cultivation. So, if you're a patient living in Fortuna, North Dakota, get used to making that monthly two-and-a-half-hour drive to Minot or the four-hour drive to Bismarck one way to buy your two-and-a-half ounces of non-smokable cannabinoid pills, oils, or tinctures. Folks, what is the point of passing these initiatives if the legislatures are just going to rewrite the entire damn thing in a way that completely invalidates most of what we wrote the law for. It's not as if this is new. It's not as if medical marijuana is some brand new policy. We've been doing this for 20 years. We know what works. We know what doesn't. But somehow, these lawmakers who resist marijuana reform at every opportunity, we show them the polls, we show them the studies, we show them the need to end this marijuana prohibition, and they fight it every step of the way. They fight it tooth and nail. Finally, we actually pass this stuff through initiative. Oh, now they want to get involved with policy. Now they want to figure out some rules and regulations. And this isn't just North Dakota, folks. In Massachusetts, they passed legalization in Massachusetts, and this was supposed to start going into effect as of 2018, January 1st, 2018. Nope. They went and changed that. The lawmakers decided they needed to push that back by six months because we want to make sure we're doing it right. It's all brand new. We've never done this before. As if there aren't already four states that are legal. Now, get this. Massachusetts can't figure out how to license 75 growers, 75 processors, and 75 retailers. Boy, they need a lot of time to figure that out. But when Uber and Lyft came along, you know Uber and Lyft, the ride-sharing companies? The lawmakers in Massachusetts implemented regulations for Uber and Lyft a year ahead of schedule. That's right. Somehow they were able to figure out how to do criminal background checks across state and federal databases for thousands of independent drivers working unpredictable schedules for two multinational online ride sharing services. That was easy peasy. But 75 growers of marijuana? Oh my God, we need more time. Hell, in Maine, in Maine, the voters passed their question one, said that Cannabis ought to be regulated by the Maine Department of Agriculture, Conservation, and Forestry. You know, regulate cannabis as if it were a plant. Whoa, blow my mind. 
well, that wasn't smart according to the legislature there in Maine. They've decided that it should be regulated by the alcoholic beverage and lottery people. (sighs) What good does it do us to pass these initiatives if the legislators are just going to overrule the will of the people? Well, folks, that's all the time I got for hour one here. Stay tuned. Hour two is next. Toker Talk Radio. You can talk. You can talk. You can talk about Toke. Our phone lines will be open at 650-LEGAL-MJ. You can call us 650-534-2565. Thanks for joining us here for the premiere of season five. Back on YouTube and better than ever. For everyone here at Delta 9 Studios, I'm Radical Russ. Thanks for joining us. And until next time, take care of each other, tokers! This is the Russ Belleville Show. The Russ Belleville Show is blogging and podcasting daily at RadicalRuss.com. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you're giant, you roll it, you're small. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you're giant, you roll it, you're small. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you're giant, you roll it, you're small.